baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I don't think we should take this to mean, oh, you know what? The court took the case, so they want to correct something about what the D.C. Circuit said. I do not view it as that at all. Jessica Levinson, professor at Loyola Law School, talking about the Supreme Court's decision to hear the Trump immunity um, assertion. So we'll see what this means moving forward now that the timeline for any criminal proceedings has been moved back a bit as a result of this. And to discuss that with us on the Quiver River Electric guest line, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr is visiting the show. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Chris. Let's get your initial take. You you saw the ruling yesterday from a lot of what I saw and read there were a lot of people who know better than I do that were very, very surprised they made this decision. I would say it wasn't so much surprising that the court agreed to take up the case and hear arguments. That was always a possibility because this is such a big issue. It's, it's easy to imagine the court thinks we ought to be the ones to decide this. What I think might have been surprising to some folks is the court's timetable. The special counsel, Jack Smith, had urged the court to move very quickly and hear arguments in, in March. Uh, instead, the court said, we're going to hear arguments in the very last argument uh, week of our term in late April. And that is practically uh, uh, potentially very important because if the goal is to, ha- to have a trial of Donald Trump before the November election, uh, the, the clock's really ticking and, and it's uh, increasingly looking hard for that to happen. Yeah, I had heard uh, two angles of this. One, the court is doing Donald Trump a favor, not by treating him specially, but kind of treating him like anybody else with a timeline, no special urgency. And two, because the court agreed to hear the case by granting a writ of certiori and not by granting a stay, Technically, they're not leaning one way or another on what they think of the merits of the case, whereas if they issued a stay, it would be indicating how they felt about the merits. Well, certainly that last part is true. This does not uh, say anything about what the court thinks about the merits of the issue. And you're right that when you issue a stay, which they did not do, one of the things the court's supposed to look at is how likely is it that we would uh, reverse the lower court decision. Um, th- this smacks very much of, of a compromise among the justices. It took the court almost two weeks after the briefing was completed to get this out, and it's basically just a scheduling order along with a little bit of kind of reframing of exactly what the court's going to consider in the case. So uh, there may not have been a single motivation for, for what happened here. Uh, the court is, is acting on an expedited schedule that is, is, is very clear, but it's also not clear whether uh, this will all be resolved quickly enough for there to actually be a trial before the election. I think from people who are on the left, there is a, a an assumption that this is only happening because uh, former President Trump was able to appoint a third of this court and those people are are doing him a favor. Do you see it that way? 
Well, uh, this order doesn't tell us anything about what individual justices thought. Certainly, it is a more conservative court than before those three Trump appointees were were put on it. Um, You know, ultimately, this case will it's it's hard to make too much of a judgment about this case until we say, A, what the court says and B, how quickly it does it, because everything I said about, you know, potentially uh, preventing a trial from happening this year could change if the court very quickly says, no, Donald Trump doesn't have immunity, and, and it, they issue that ruling within a few weeks of the, of the argument. If that happens, then we'll be uh, talking about some very different things. Yeah. So, again, if people are saying trying to look into this from a partisan perspective, what would you say, in short, is the conservative view of what the court decided and what would be the more progressive view of what the court decided, not from the judge's perspectives, but from partisans looking at it? So it's easier to say from from progressives view, because there are indeed a lot of of, uh, complaints and a lot of hand wringing going on now that the court is basically doing Donald Trump's bidding uh, by by slow walking this and and making it so that a trial might not happen. Um, You know, there are an awful lot of conservatives who who think the uh, views among conservatives, I should say, are, are, you know, are varied. Um, You know, there there are plenty of conservatives who think that what Donald Trump did with regard to the January 6th Capitol riot was a crime and that he should be prosecuted for it. And, and some of them filed uh, briefs at the, at the Supreme Court on that. Um, and obviously there are folks who, who agree with Donald Trump when he says that, that it's a witch hunt. And, uh, you know, to the extent the court is um, kind of getting in the way of that witch hunt, uh, in, in quotes, uh, happening before, before the election, uh, those folks are happy. Uh, maybe you sort of answered this already in in a different way, but w- why would the Supreme Court take this up when did they not want it to go to that appellate court first or the appeals court first and and have them make the decision which they did and it was unanimous? It seems like w- then why why take this up if you send it to them first? So this is the normal course. Normally, uh, even on a big issue like this, the Supreme Court likes to let the appeals court decide it first. They have the benefit of, of seeing what those judges thought about it. Uh, and that helps the Supreme Court. Uh, what Jack Smith asked the, the special counsel asked the court to do previously, in other words, uh, skip over the appeals court, is the unusual uh, approach. It's not something the court uh, does in a, in a typical case. And so the big question is, is this case not the typical case? Is there so much urgency to get this resolved one way or another so that trial can go forward if indeed he does not have immunity? Uh, You know, is that, uh, you know, does that does that describe what's going on here? And, uh, you know, from the Supreme Court's perspective, it's, it's not yet clear whether whether that's the case. It's not yet clear just how quickly they're going to rule. But. Signs right now suggest that maybe they don't consider it to be so urgent that that they need to get it resolved in time for an early trial. This is just like plainly speaking, when I see this and just knowing how long it could take, you have the decision at the end of April, uh, maybe not coming out until the first week or two of May. Um, and then the timeline for allowing Trump time to prepare for the trial and also knowing that the Department of Justice does not operate criminal cases like this with the nominee during the presidential election. I see this as Trump is either going to win and this 
January 6th, all of this trial goes away or he loses and maybe it continues. But nothing's going to happen before November. So just on that that point about the Justice Department policy, my understanding is that that's a policy about uh, filing charges of, okay. uh, uh, of getting an indictment, not not going ahead uh, with, with a prosecution. Um, and of course, we never had anything you know like this particular case. So it's kind of hard to to you know go from any particular policy to say what should happen in this case, where it is the likely Republican nominee who would be going on, on, on trial. Um, uh, Amy, forgive me, I forgot the, the first half of your question. No, I, I guess like. Is this one of those things where we can assume nothing's going to happen before the election and whether or not this trial is pursued is contingent on Trump winning or losing? I don't know that I would assume that okay. just yet. It's certainly what happened last night makes it a little less likely or perhaps even a lot less likely that the trial will happen before November. It is still open to the Supreme Court to rule very quickly in this case in a matter of a couple of weeks, which is, uh, I think, in the Nixon tapes case, for example, is one one historical example. They ruled 16 days after after the argument. Um, you know, if the court were to do that, uh, then it becomes far more possible to actually have a trial and verdict before the election. Uh, if we are you know, having a conversation about when is the Supreme Court going to rule in late June, that's a very different story. We know that the polling or the public sentiment on the Supreme Court, their feelings on it, are, are at the lowest they've been in maybe ever. Um, there just isn't a whole lot of confidence in the Supreme Court these days. Does something like this affect it in a negative way, a positive way, or not at all? It, it's also hard to say on on that point. Um, I, I would imagine that folks who are critical of the Supreme Court will be even more critical a, after this. And again, we do kind of have to wait and see because if 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 uh, the court comes out with a quick ruling against Trump, everybody will would be talking very differently. Um, you know, this is sort of different in kind from say the the big abortion decision where folks could could very clearly see the stakes and and you know uh could quickly come to a conclusion about it. this is more kind of a question about um is the supreme court manipulating a docket to help donald trump and that's obviously a much more nuanced question that that uh, the average person out there might have have uh you know less of a strong opinion on I heard uh, someone say it's important to uh, a legal analyst say it's important to remember that the Supreme Court decides questions, not cases, and that the Supreme Court is looking at a very narrow question here. And then it's out of their hands and is in the Department of Justice with what happens with Donald Trump. Yeah, that is true. And one thing folks have been doing uh, yesterday and today is parsing exactly what que- that, that question that the Supreme Court is going to hear because they um, oftentimes when the court takes up a case, usually kind of the usual course is uh, somebody says, Supreme Court, take this case and here is the question we want you to, to resolve. And the court says, OK, we'll we'll resolve that question. Here, the court needed to basically write the question itself because Donald Trump didn't didn't sort of lay, lay that out for them. And, uh, you know, there's sort of a lot of um, scrutinizing of this. And, and one thing people are wondering is, is this uh, a question that might allow for something other than a clear ruling? It might allow for a ruling that says, hey, lower courts, you need to take another look at this and here are the factors you need to consider. 
um, that that would certainly mean we don't get a trial before November. But um, we'll we'll know a lot more when the court starts when the court hears arguments in in late April because then we'll, we'll really get a sense of what, what's on their minds. This may not be your area of expertise, but one thing that a lot of people seem to be concerned about is whether or not he can pardon himself. If he becomes president, this trial ends up happening, and then he's found guilty as the trial, as he assumes the office. Um, can he do that? Can he pardon himself, or is this still a question to be answered? I think that's still a question to be answered. There's all, to be answered. There's also the question of, of what exactly happens. Certainly, if, if the case hasn't gone to trial, there's a broad understanding that he could order the Justice Department to drop the case. But uh, how that works, if there's already been a conviction in the case, that's also uh, something that might get a little, uh, a little tricky. And just to kind of sum things up, in your opinion, the fact that the Supreme Court is going to hear this case and therefore the court trial is delayed do you see this, no matter what, as a victory for Trump? It, 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 uh, Donald Trump is in better shape on this than he was 24 hours ago, no question about yeah. that. 24 hours ago, there, there certainly seemed like a possibility the Supreme Court would just turn him away, and that would mean that Judge Tuckin could move ahead with trial plans, and then we would, would have certainly had a, had a trial uh, sometime, you know, starting sometime in the, the spring or summer. Supreme Court reporter for Bloomberg, Greg Store, uh, visiting with us here on KMOX. Greg, as always, we appreciate the information you've given us, and uh, thank you for talking to us today. My pleasure. That's Greg Store. Yeah. So this is a very fascinating case, and there are a lot of people freaking out about this. Yeah. And certainly, uh, former President Trump is extremely happy that right. this decision was made yesterday. Right, like Greg Store said. And he put it well. He is in better shape now than he was 24 hours ago because the Supreme Court, regardless of how they rule and regardless of how his eventual trial, if it happens, goes, uh, he has time. And time is on his side when it comes to that upcoming election. He has time that he didn't have before. We'd love to hear from you. 314-944-1120 to leave us a voicemail. It's the Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. Okay, I know we're talking about Caitlin Clark, the yeah. basketball player, college basketball player out of Iowa, breaking records and this upcoming home game. The ticket prices could possibly break even more NCAA records for the most expensive ever. Quick quick note on uh, hot ticket items. The, the Supreme Court oral arguments on the Trump case when they're going to be heard in April. I think there's about 40 to 45 spots for the public and that you have to line up super early to get into the Supreme Court for these very high profile cases. One guy already tweeted, I'm getting in line now for the oral arguments for April 22nd. Is it free? It's free, but I mean, people will sleep out, you know, overnight, multiple nights. I can't imagine when people will start lining up because there's only 40 yeah. to 45 spots, but you can hear the oral arguments in this case. They should sell tickets. It, well, it's kind of cool. should be on StubHub. Well, hey, no, it's free. This is democracy. Hey, well, uh, well, I do want to get to the uh, yeah. speaking of tickets. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, Jim's been hanging on for a moment. Jim from St. Louis with us on KMOX. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. The January 6th. Uh, situation that occurred and so on and so forth, they have people still locked up 
mm-hmm. without a case, and it's been going on three years, almost four years now, and they're still locked up in isolation, and their trial hasn't even come to court yet. And then the majority of uh, the Justice Department, what they try to do is plead them out. And if you don't take their plea, you, your case is even delayed even longer. None of that's been addressed. Also on January 6th, the domino fell when they challenged the election. Nobody ever, ever has not challenged an election. Every election since George W. Bush, all the elections have been challenged. States have been challenged about their election. During COVID, a lot of states owned governments inside their states Attorney generals changed the voting policies of their own state, which in a lot of states were illegal, but they did it anyway based on COVID restrictions. And so, yeah, and I will say this: in which in which other election year did members of United States Congress have to hide and lock the doors for their own safety? How many times was the National Guard called and ignored when it was requested before? The votes were going to be counted on January 6th. How many times was the Capitol Police warned about this situation and ignored in the hearing they had in well, and You didn't really answer Amy's question. When when has there ever been an oppor- a time where a, an election was challenged and members of Congress had to go hide because people were storming into the building? Uh, look back in the 1900s when our country uh, originated. There was always vile things going yeah, on and, this and people so, hiding. So, so, but we're recognizing this was pretty terrible, right? And this is extraordinary in modern history. You do recognize that and admit it? Oh, absolutely. It was Great. terrible. Well, why don't we dissect the whole situation at Ann and, and release so I don't, all the I, let, me, let me ask you this, Jim. Where's are you saying, are you, hold on, Jim, where, let me, Jim, 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 are you saying that these January 6th rioters, are they being punished wrongfully? Are you saying that they shouldn't be punished? Are you saying they did nothing wrong? What are you saying? What I'm saying is they've been held in prison. But did they do something wrong? Well, have they been convicted one way or another? Okay. They've been charged. Jim, but you I'm saw videos. You saw, well, you saw the building confused. getting stormed. Did did those people who stormed the building do something wrong? Absolutely. Great. I already convicted of it, though. Great. I, and I agree with you. There should be much quicker trials, and those people who did that should be punished, every single one of them. There's a lot of them, though. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of them, so it's difficult. Um, I do think that maybe they should have started at the top, worked their way down, In terms of going after people, that's Mm -hmm. a fair assessment. But appreciate the phone call, Jim. It's Chris and Amy's show. We will talk to Major Garrett when we come back on KMOX. It's Thursday on the Chris and Amy show. Usually we do this at 1030, but Amy Marks Kors and Chris Ranji, the two of us, are extremely accommodating to people we care about. (laughs) So much. And we are joined now by Chief Washington Correspondent, for CBS News, Major Garrett, he is the host of the Takeout podcast, The Agent of Betrayal, another great podcast, and The Big Truth. This is a book, and it's good. The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie. What's up, Major? Uh, thank you for accommodating me. Yeah. I had a, yeah. a, a a shift in my schedule unexpectedly today, and you were 
100% accommodating, and I am deeply grateful. To Wait that. a oh, thank minute. Thank you so much. Are you saying that it's a pretty busy schedule being the chief the CBS chief Washington correspondent? Dude, it seems like you could go get coffee six times a day if you want. Uh, yes. Uh, as, as I used to say when I covered the Trump White House on a daily basis, uh, what a long month last week was. Yeah. If I were you, uh, I would probably. I, 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 yeah. felt that, I felt that way about yesterday. What a long month yeah. yesterday was. Well, where do we start? Uh, Supreme Court decision. What a, what's yeah. the ripple effect today? So, look, uh, the ripple effect is as follows. It is a tactical legal victory for the former president in that the Supreme Court will take this case on. Our oral arguments will be held until April 22nd. If the Supreme Court moves very rapidly, an opinion could be released by the end of the following month, sometime late in May. There would be, of course, pretrial motions and a jury and paneling. All of that means at the earliest, a trial here in the District of Columbia at the federal courthouse on the January 6th related charges at the earliest would be mid-July. Is anything happening in mid-July? Oh, wait a minute. I know what's happening in mid-July. The Republican National Convention in Milwaukee. I mean, I mean, just think about the practical not only difficulties, but mind-breaking reality of that. Felony charges against the former president of the United States who is about to be nominated as the leading candidate of the Republican Party at the convention when the trial is either about to start or just started. Or, I mean, it's, it's beyond comprehension and uh, will pressurize the collision that we've been living through all this calendar year and much of last year between law and politics as never before. That's the earliest it could happen. If it's delayed, then it could be August or September. And then the Justice Department would have to say, wait a minute, can, can we, should we, is it proper to conduct this trial in the heat of a presidential campaign? Uh, all of that will be playing out through the summer and early fall. That's the tactical legal side of it. On the political side of it, many might show, be tempted to say, well, this is a win for Trump again. I'm not so sure about it, because if the trial is delayed or it's not held because it just can't be, then that doesn't mean the politics of the underlying cause of the charges related to January 6th suddenly go, go away. No, as a matter of fact, you have an entire constituency of Americans, Democrats and independents, some lightly attached Republicans, who be like, why aren't we having a trial? Why aren't we getting this thing adjudicated so we can determine the president's legal culpability for trying to deny a peaceful transfer of power? That will not take the political question about his underlying conduct and as a former president away from us. It will put it front and center. So it's a tactical legal victory, but I'm not sure it's a political victory. Uh, that's interesting, uh, Major, because I was... I was starting to feel that because it will be delayed and it could be highly unlikely that he goes to trial before the election, that if he wins, it's a moot point. If he loses the presidential election, then maybe only then do we pursue it. So that's a slightly different viewpoint. And in your mind, is it a bigger deal that the Supreme Court granted it a writ of certiorari or is it a bigger deal that they made the timeline the end of April? Both, both. Look, they, the Supreme Court could have decided and let everyone know weeks ago that it was going to hear this case. And it didn't. It took its sweet time. And then 
scheduled uh, oral arguments a good deal of time later. Look, this case is not an unknown case. It was briefed, meaning briefs were submitted at the district court level and before the three-judge appellate panel in the District of Columbia. The, The Supreme Court justices are not missing any documentation about the underlying arguments here. It's all right in front of them. They could have made a much more rapid decision about whether to hear the case or schedule oral arguments sooner. And that's why I say this political atmosphere around this decision will not land well, because at least with Democrats and independents and lightly attached Republicans or anti-Trump Republicans, because they're like, no, you're already granting Trump immunity, even if you rule against him. De facto, by delaying this, you're creating a bubble of immunity around him by delaying this. And that's the way it's being perceived. And that's the way it inevitably must be perceived, because the court could have said, This is a super important constitutional question. It needs immediate consideration. And because this is in a political season, the law must render a judgment rapidly so it can back away from the political atmosphere and let everything else continue. But no, it is putting itself in the middle of it and by delaying things, creating more room for the law and less room for a political judgment. But the political judgment's coming one way or the other. Also yesterday, as you alluded to, a lot happening. Uh, Mitch McConnell deciding that he is no longer going mm-hmm. to be the Republican leader of the Senate, but he'll serve out his term. What mm-hmm. has been the reaction today and, and yesterday as well? So in politics, it's always better to move as opposed to being shoved. Uh, so uh, Mitch McConnell knew that after the uh November elections, whatever they, whatever comes of them, uh, he would not be re-elected leader of the Senate Republicans. And so you move, so you're not shoved, because he would have been shoved out of leadership position had he sought it again. So he's taking it on his terms and on his timing. And this will set off a very chaotic battle to be the Republican leader of the Senate. I would say no fewer than five or six Republicans will run for that position, and I have no way of handicapping any of that. Uh, Trump will weigh in uh, at his own good time, but I don't think he's going to weigh in any time soon. And there's a very real prospect Republicans have of winning a narrow majority, so the person who could get this position would not just be the leader of the Republicans, but would be the majority leader of the Senate, setting the schedule and lots of other things, exercising that power. Uh, the immediate reaction was, McConnell led Republicans in a lot of significant ways, tactically against Obama, Biden, and with Trump. Uh, His legislative record is substantial, but his epitaph in American history will be the single most important senatorial figure to remake the composition of the United States Supreme Court. And Mitch McConnell did that with three justices appointed and confirmed by the Senate while Trump was president. Joe Biden and Donald Trump both down at the southern border today. Um, imagine they're not they're not hanging out. Uh, what do you see of the significance of both of them being down there? So you and I on this program for the better part of two and a half, maybe three years, have been talking about immigration as it relates to Biden policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the strengths uh, and one of the weaknesses of the sitting president of the United States, Joe Biden, is his stubbornness. Uh, that stubbornness uh, yielded results on the uh, um, Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, the CHIPS Act, Inflation Reduction Act, 
other things that are achievements of the Biden administration because he stuck with it and didn't listen to all the noise and kept focused, blah, blah, blah. Well, stubbornness on immigration is it's not an issue. It's not an issue. Oh, it's just Republicans screaming on Fox. and It's just Trump trying to get me annoyed and aggravated and distracted. So I'm not going to I'm just it's not it's not a biggest deal as my Republican critics say it is. And that stubbornness has created a blindness that is only now being addressed by the Biden White House. This issue has been simmering and growing in salience and importance to voters steadily for three years. And when Trump goes to the border and now Biden goes on the same day, the country will absorb it as Biden is trying to play catch up. Uh, Biden does have a talking point to say, look, I tried to, leg- to, to create a legislative solution and I worked with Republicans and we had a good bill and it was passed by the Senate and Trump and the House Republicans killed it. That is a talking point and it's grounded in truth. That bill would have made a significant difference for the long term, but it still doesn't equalize this result in, in the saliency of the issue or criticism of Biden policies. Trump has the upper hand there and coming to the border on the same day with Trump will not equalize things for the president. He is, and probably for the next few months, if not for the remainder of this campaign, will be playing catch up on this issue. So this proposed Senate border bill, which has not been brought to the House floor for a Mm -hmm. vote, um, apparently has all kinds of support, even by Republicans and would have passed the House. Does does any yeah. of that move the political needle, the fact that uh, Mike Johnson won't bring it to the floor, but it was a bipartisan deal that was agreed upon? Right. It should. It, it, it all depends on how aggressive the White, ha- White House is about driving that message. And this is an opportunity for the president to drive it at the border today. And I guarantee you he will repeat it in the State of the Union address next Thursday. It all depends on how he, the president frames it and said, look. And maybe he takes on some responsibility and says, look, I was stubborn. I wasn't paying as much attention as I should have. My good intentions to take care of people who are coming to our border, who are distressed because of economics or violence or other things, maybe I was too accommodating to them. And I'm going to change. And I tried to change. And I tried to listen to you, the American public, and build a legislative decision that would have more permanence and more strength than executive actions. But now I'm only left with executive actions because Republicans led by Trump killed the most aggressive border security bill ever. And quite clearly, that legislation was. That is something Democrats and the president can talk about. But they have to drive that message because they are, as again, as I said before, playing catch up. And when you're playing catch up, you have to match rhetoric with rhetoric. And they're about two and a half years behind. Major, who's on the podcast this week? I just recorded it. That was one of the many things that I was juggling this morning. So uh, if you are someone who has been around politics as long as I have, you remember fondly the name Joe Klein. He wrote the definitive book about politics in the 90s, Primary Colors, which was as great uh, a, a novel based in truth about a presidential campaign that I've ever come across. He has a partner on a podcast they do called Night Owls named John Ellis. They both have their own journalistic enterprises on Substack. Anyway, Joe Klein, John Ellis on the takeout this week, and it was super fun. We just did that. Looking forward to hearing it. Listen, Major Garrett, we thank you for being part of our day. Thank you for your accommodation. Yes. So very much. How about us, right? 
Props to you. Props yeah, to you. Yeah, because because Major <laughs> goes has, out of his way to talk to us every single that's week. That's exactly and we love right. Major Major has to lower himself to talk no, to us come on. each week. This is. Have you? Do you see I, what goes? I ride the elevator to the penthouse to talk to you. <laughs> do you see what goes on in Washington every week? This is the highlight for him. Uh huh. We are a lot of fun, if nothing else. Major, you guys are. You guys are. You <laughs> are a kick. You are a kick, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Thank Major. You. Major Garrett, Chief Washington Correspondent for CBS News. He's on Twitter at Major Garrett. Again, The Takeout and Agent of Betrayal. Those are his podcasts. His book, The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie. What? No, I. that's great. And I was going to say, um, we're going to honor someone else who was, a, who was a big kick. Oh, a huge kick. Yeah. Um, that's next on KMOX. All right, Amy Marks, Cores. Uh, so... Somebody passed away yesterday. Yeah. I have better news for you. I'm leaving you in my will. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm tweaking it, and you're in it. No, 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 don't, don't do that. It's done. You're in. I don't want to be in it. I have money. I don't need it. Give it to someone who needs it. When I die, I want you to know how much I care about you. I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to give it to charity. You're my best friend. You're getting it. No, I'm making a Sherman-esque statement about the will right now. I'm sick of your historical references. If nominated, I will not run. If bequeathed, I will not accept. Well, I'm bequeathing. Well, I'm not accepting. Well, you'll have to accept. Don't give it to me. Don't hurt my feelings. I'm not going to keep a penny of it. You're hurting me. Thank you, but I don't want it. I'm giving it to you anyway, pal. Oh, my God. F*** you. <laughs> Richard Lewis passed away yesterday. Huge part of, of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And uh, I remember somebody posted yesterday the very first argument of the very first episode of yeah. Curb. And I remembered almost all of it because I, I guess I've seen that episode a lot. And it just kind of foreshadowed yeah. what their entire relationship on the show was going to be like. It's it's sad, but it's uh, he was 76 years old. He passed away yesterday. And Larry David, who was the other person in that clip, mm -hmm. um, he released a statement about his good friend. And uh, at the end of his statement, he said, um, you know, we, he was the nicest person. He, we, he always made me laugh until today. He made me sob and I will never forgive him for that, Aww. which is a, a really it's a nice tribute to a friend who they clearly used to go back and forth. But it was all in good fun. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's sad. I, I absolutely was not expecting to see that yesterday. Yeah, a heart attack. Uh, it was yeah. 76, I believe. Um, you have that uh, other fitting clip? Oh, do you want to hear this I, one? I this one is so good. It's so good, and I think he, the whole tone of the show and their humor, it's fitting. It's pretty perfect. You never call me. You always pick the restaurant. What are, you, what are, you, are we married? I don't, I don't understand. Am I dating you? You hate people. Your wardrobe sucks. I do, sucks. so what? My wardrobe? You're talking about my wardrobe? Yeah, put this wardrobe look, look down. Look at you. I'm one of the best uh, dressed the worst, comics I've ever lived. You're the worst dressed person I've ever this, seen. You're comparing this? I can't this? even look at you. I get depressed. When are you going to die? <laughs> you just... Don't will, you, will you please die? <laughs> that was Larry sorry, David to Richard Lewis. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's really funny. It's just really... And, and here's the thing about that. We play that day after he passes mm -hmm. away. But I would guarantee you... 
And I would bet everything that he would love if people were laughing yeah. about that today. Yeah. Do you watch a lot of Curb or do you? Are you watching this this most recent season? This is the last no, one. No, I've I've only seen it. I've never watched all the way through. I saw it for the first time like six years ago, maybe seven years ago on the way home from Australia. And I just watched it like sequentially and I like felt bad for laughing and I'm like, oh my gosh, really? this show. Because there were cer- there's certain episodes where you're cringing but laughing oh, yeah. so hard. That's the whole point. Yeah. I love that the show is basically improvised. That yeah. They have an outline of kind of what they want to happen, but the actors are just improving. It's which like is a really rated great. R Seinfeld. Yep. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's Chris and Amy. Uh, Richard Lewis passed away at the age of 76. You've got KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 